When I say can you dig it, put your two hands up like that. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Can You Dig It A Podcast by Silverscreen and Roll.com. I am Christian, joined by Jacob Rood. Interesting day in sports, um, certainly for the Lakers, but as that game was going on, another game was going on in the NFL. And Jacob, as you know, I am not a big football fan, and I think I've uh, expressed that on Twitter pretty often. I am a Rams fan during the postseason, but beyond that, I, I've tried to care about football. I just, I cannot get into it. Uh, as I say to you, wearing your IU quarter zip. But I did turn that game on because all I heard people talk about was this scenario in which the Raiders and Chargers tied and I'm going to be honest with you up until I want to say two weeks ago, I didn't even know ties were a thing in football. Uh, I have stopped following the NFL largely. Uh, I blame that on, I used to be a Vikings fan. They finally just wore me down and just uh, killed my morale. So um, I stopped following the NFL a while back, I'll still tune into some of the bigger games. And honestly, I would have tuned in to whatever was going on tonight. I had the general idea of what was going on and I was ready to turn it on. And then the Lakers annoyingly went on like a 21 to nothing run to where I had to like kind of pay attention to make sure that they weren't actually going to do this crazy comeback thing because I was also in charge of the podcast and there was a point or the recap, excuse me. And there was a point where uh, Austin Reeves had that and one dunk. It's like about to be a seven point game with like 90 seconds left. And I'm looking at the 700 word recap I have and thinking, God, what do I do if they actually win this game? Well, I guess fortunately for you, they did not complete the (laughs) comeback. Uh, And the Chargers, I guess, didn't. How do, I, how do I phrase this? They didn't complete the tie. Seems like they had an <laughs> opportunity uh, to do that, but they they got they they couldn't get out of their own way. Um, so again, an, an interesting night in sports. But yes, we will talk about the Lakers game as much as I really do not want to. Outside of that fourth quarter, I guess that's a good place to start. The Lakers in garbage time put out a lineup of. Let's see if I can remember this. It was Wayne Ellington. I know Wayne Ellington for sure because he could not miss uh, for a good while. And then, as you mentioned, Austin Reeves had a few big plays on the stretch and ended up as, I want to say, the Lakers' second-leading scorer behind LeBron James with 16 points, tied second-leading scorer with Wayne Ellington. Again, all happened in the fourth quarter. Uh, DeAndre deep, Jordan. Deep into garbage time, too. <laughs> DeAndre Jordan, uh, and in the game, I plus 19 in the box score against the number four seed <laughs> in the Western Conference. Um, Bays was on the floor, and was it that, THT? That was, no, that was your five. You said five. It, or Ariza, excuse me. Okay. Uh, it was, yeah, Ariza, Jordan, Ellington, Bays, Moore, Reeves played six minutes together to close the game, finished with a net rating of 181.8. 
an offensive rating of 190.9. And those of student math will realize that was a defensive rating of 9.1 <laughs> in six minutes. So it was a 21 to nothing run at one point. Memphis scored, I think, one point. So I guess it ended up being a 21 to one run to end the game. But uh, <laughs> silly, but also like a fun little bright spot. Honestly, that might be what I write about uh, as you guys are listening to this, go check out the website. Cause I honestly think I'm going to write about that comeback because everything else from this game, aside from LeBron really sucked, to be honest. Did you take issue at all with Frank, not putting at least LeBron James out uh, in garbage time during that little run that they were going on? No, because I never really thought that they were going to do anything. And I also, I am fully of the mindset that you just ride with the guys that got you there. So, like, if uh, if that lineup was the one that pulled them back in, let them see it out for better or for worse. I never really thought there just was never enough time. They were going to need a couple of quick steals and, like, three-pointers before I really got worried. But, no, LeBron had been sitting for Lord knows how long at that point anyway. So, uh, but, no, I it it was fun. It made the score look far too close for how big of a blowout that was and made the rest of the Lakers shooting numbers look far better than they were for most of the night. So I guess kudos for them to making for making it look prettier than that was. You know, I'm usually of the mindset uh, of letting the game ride out with the guys that got you back into it. I am truly. Uh but when two of those guys are Kent Bazemore and DeAndre Jordan, I think you have to be willing to bend those rules a little bit. Um, but I don't know what you're talking about. Kent Bazemore is a plus 21 tonight, <laughs> and LeBron was a minus 30. So I think he had the right five in. Just don't lie. Um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I, as you mentioned, it was not nearly as close as the 127 to 119 score suggested. Uh, and you know, me saying that Frank should have put in LeBron during that stretch is really picking nits and trying to, you know, find a reason to talk about anything else other than what preceded that comeback in the fourth quarter. Um, if you are going to criticize Frank at all, uh, which to be clear, I don't think this loss was on him, uh, but there were certainly, there's a point in every Lakers game, I think that they're down or where the game's just getting away from them where you just want Frank to do something other than what he's been doing, I guess. And I think on Sunday night for me, it was just like, get a center in the game. You're getting bullied in the paint. And I understand the logic behind keeping the lineup small and wanting the Lakers to get more reps in those small lineups. Um, I think where that logic falls short for me is even when the Lakers are playing those small lineups, Carmelo Anthony is not going to be your backup center in those lineups. And, you know, if, if your logic is you want to get as many reps as possible with LeBron at center and see what those lineups look like, I totally get that. And I think they should do that because I think LeBron has, been productive enough to say the least at center to even when Anthony Davis is healthy, make him one of 
the primary backup centers. Um, the same cannot be said of Carmelo Anthony. And I do think even when AD and, you know, Lord willing, LeBron James are healthy, you are going to have shifts with a traditional center, whether it's Dwight Howard or, you know, hopefully by then another big will will have been added to the roster. So at, at some point, you know, whether it be Sunday night or a future game, I would like to see Frank start to, I guess, work centers back into the rotation. Uh, allow me to play devil's advocate then. A um, couple arguments against that. Uh, one specific to Sunday is that I don't know. The final numbers, like I said, were a little skewed because of that comeback in garbage time. But through three quarters, the non-LeBron Lakers were shooting 18 of 57. Uh, so it really didn't matter who was in the game on Sunday. That was a loss. Like, you don't shoot 18 of 57 and win any game. Uh, but I understand your point is to kind of a larger degree than that. Um, I think... I mean, Vogel's already said his mindset on that, and I know it's been discussed. It's just that uh, he doesn't want them – if they're going to commit to this philosophy, then they need to figure it out when things aren't going right. And I I also understand that at some point things aren't going to go right, and you have to – there's an idea that you need to go to somebody else. Um, I would say that I really don't know how much Dwight and – I mean, DeAndre is never going to play when AD gets back. He doesn't play now, but I really don't know how much Dwight is even going to play when AD gets back because if AD is playing, excuse me, if AD is playing 32 to 36 minutes a night, then you're looking only at 14 minutes max, somewhere around there of center minutes up for grabs. And I really think LeBron is going to play pretty much all those. So I think his, I think Vogel's mindset is very much let's figure it all out now. So we know how to best kind of maximize those 12, 14, 16 minutes per night. Uh, whenever AD is back um, again, I understand the counter argument is there is no AD now and you need to win games and maybe Dwight gives you a better chance at winning games, but ultimately I, Maybe Dwight, I mean, Dwight's had some positive games of late as well, so there's probably a better argument for putting him in. But, um, I mean, again, specific to Sunday, it really didn't matter who they were going to put in because everybody was shooting awful, and I don't think Dwight was really – I mean, it was a 22-24 point game when he got in. I don't think he was um, a 22-point difference in this game. So – I, I can I honestly can see both arguments. Um, I tend to side a little bit more with Frank just because um, the Lakers need to figure this out, and Dwight and DeAndre just don't have it most nights, uh, especially the longer you play Dwight. But I I still I do understand at times, and they've went to Dwight at times, and it's worked at times. So I mean, there is some precedent there. The other option I think I would have liked frank to explore was like stanley johnson at center minutes maybe um only played 13 minutes on on sunday and you know 
I don't want to overreact to one game because I do think Stanley Johnson has been mostly positive for the Lakers. Um, but I do, um, I guess, understand why the Lakers didn't want to commit to him after that first 10 day. And I think games like this are why, because as I was watching the, that game against the Grizzlies, my mind immediately goes to one, what is this team going to look like when 80 is healthy? And two, is this a team the Lakers could feasibly see in the postseason? The latter of which is especially relevant because if you're of the mindset that the Lakers are going to finish as the fifth seed in the Western Conference, which I, you know, believe, I don't think they can close the gap between the Grizzlies. I think the first round matchup, if all goes well in 80s back sooner rather than later, I think that is going to be the four or five matchup in the Western Conference, which is great for the Lakers. Like you avoid the play-in. Um, and I mean, if you have to choose between, I guess, the Grizzlies, Suns, Warriors, and Jazz, you know, maybe you prefer that Grizzlies matchup. I mean, give me go- Utah. Yeah, I was going to say, going based off of Sunday night's matchup, that's certainly not the case. But um, the point in me saying this is when I think about the, I guess, actualized version of this team uh, and the players I want around them, I think Stanley Johnson is one of those players I'd like to see start alongside Anthony Davis. But if you're the Lakers and you're presented an opportunity maybe you know 10 20 days from now uh to sign Thaddeus Young in Stanley Johnson's place at at that fourth spot or you know somebody who's a little more established and brings you a little more than Stanley Johnson then I told I totally get it like as much as I I like Stanley Johnson and you know and to a lesser extent Trevor Ariza as much as I think both of those guys help the Lakers especially when AD is healthy. I think I would be a little disappointed if those are the best non-LeBron forwards on the roster after the trade deadline. Yeah, again, I'm kind of of two minds here because um, on one hand, in general, I don't want to take a whole bunch of – I don't want there to be a whole bunch of like sweeping takeaways from this game because I mean, this was a bad game by the Lakers. Those happen during the season. They happen to every team. I, I said during the game that one of the most kind of frustrating things about fan bases and I've covered multiple teams. So I feel like I can speak from experience with this is just the idea that a bad loss is something that just doesn't happen to every team. And now with the Lakers this year, there's been a lot of them, uh, especially early on. I don't think there's been as many as of late, uh, even factoring in that losing streak, but they only had like eight available guys. And one of them was Isaiah Thomas for most that stretch. Um, so I, I really think the Lakers have been playing better. I mean, for heaven's sake, like the, the nets healthy nets lost to a Clippers team that has like, six healthy people and most of them are G leaguers. Like I think it was last week. So, I mean, these games happen all the time. Like winning in the NBA is not easy. So in that sense, 
I don't really want to take a whole lot of just kind of sweeping takeaways from a game. I mean, I just did the math. The Lakers starters not named LeBron plus Carmelo, who played the next most minutes before garbage time, were 10 of 47. So, like, that is my main takeaway. Like, they shot awful. All as a collective, they shot awful. That's not something they've done recently. Um, and honestly, I could have timed this worse. At the, uh, Frank Vogel talked before the game about the Lakers' defense improving, and I looked up the numbers, thought it was interesting, started writing the article at the beginning of the game, and then the Lakers did that on Sunday. So there's actually an article up on Monday uh, about the improving Lakers' defense, but I had to do multiple caveats that, like, Sunday's game is like a glaring like exception to that. And like, it still shows they have a ways to go, but they really have been better on both sides of the ball. Um, so I, don't, I, I mean, Sunday, I think ultimately was just a really crappy game. They, their heads got down. That's a young Memphis team that plays with a lot of energy and things snowball. I also don't necessarily disagree with your point either though. Um, just in the big s- scheme of things. When AD comes back, when Kendrick Nunn is healthy, um, I don't – I mean, this rotation is going to be interesting. I was talking with uh, Rye Cole, actually, on Twitter this past week about who is going to be in the rotation when Kendrick Nunn gets back because Vogel said Kendrick Nunn is going to get – I think his exact words were a ton of minutes when he comes back. He's probably going to be the sixth man. If not, well, probably not the starter now without Malik's playing, but one of him or Malik will be the sixth man on this team. Um, and then you like Melo's gonna play, THT's gonna play. Then you're looking at do you do a nine-man rotation and it's one of Ariza or Reeves or Stanley Johnson? If you do a 10-man rotation, you have to pick two of those three. So there's gonna be kind of a squeeze on minutes. I wouldn't be surprised if Stanley Johnson isn't among those guys uh, if he's kind of an 11th or 12th man. But even then, that is an 11th or 12th man I want over DeAndre Jordan, mm. probably Wayne Ellington, and Kent Bazemore at this point. So um, even if it's – I mean, I, I do think Sunday was a an example of why they probably were hesitant to sign him long-term, but – Ultimately, I would still take him over a number of current Lakers, and he has a lot of value that we've seen in those small ball lineups. So um, I'm not really taking a lot from this game, other than that LeBron is absolutely crazy. Like, there's (laughs) nothing he can't do. Uh, Shout out to Desmond Bain for getting him fired up for seemingly no reason. That never works. Yeah, the Grizzlies won the game. Like, congrats. LeBron also had 35 on 14 and 19 shootings. So, like, he... LeBron won that battle, but um, outside of LeBron being great, there isn't a ton to take away from that game, but I do see the point and I don't disagree with it. Cause when AD and none are back, like you're quickly going to have far fewer minutes available to these guys. I one don't know when Kendrick Nunn is coming back. Um, Soon. But- it sounds like I would think in the next week or so, which is good. Yeah. Um, for a few reasons but one i think he helps the lakers um just on the pure fact that 
I'm guessing Frank is going to trust him more than Wayne Ellington, who's the only other shooter on this team I really trust. Although, Taylor knocking down some three-pointers on Sunday. I love that. Um, I think the idea of the three-guard lineups with Taylor Nunn, and one of Monk or Reeves are really, really exciting to me. Um, and I, I really, really, really hope we get at least a, a week or two of just a healthy <laughs> team before the trade deadline, because it's only a month away uh, at, I by the time I... this, this podcast is published. And I, as, as far as we know, the Lakers have been pretty aggressive in trying to at least open a roster spot. So um, the roster they started the season with already isn't going to be the roster that they end the season with. And, um, you know, for all those points I made about Stanley Johnson, I agree. I think I'd him or like a, a player like him is just somebody you want at the end of your bench because one, those former high lottery pick guys, you're just always going to be willing to, to take a flyer on at the end of your bench. Um, but he also adds something that the Lakers don't have currently. And, you know, that in and of itself is valuable. Um, but even if they do commit to Stanley long-term, you, even after they opened that roster spot with the Rondo trade, there was a report that the Lakers were staying aggressive and trying to open another roster spot. And, uh, so when we get back from the break, we're going to talk about our favorite, I guess, realistic, uh, trade targets, but, uh, with the help of a few people that sent in their submissions on Twitter. So that'll be us when we get back. Jacob, you know as well as anybody that uh, I love me some trade machine. Uh, not so much the ESPN trade machine as of late. I don't know what it is or what happened to the ESPN trade machine. Uh, but every time I go on there, one, the first thing I notice is that it's not a secure website. Like there is not that lock that you want to see on your websites to make sure Nobody's like mining your data without your consent or whatever. It's weird. I don't know why that is, but ESPN, whoever does IT for ESPN, if you're listening to this, please fix that immediately. Um, The other thing is it's just not a very useful tool. Like sometimes the pictures don't load and you have to refresh the site in order to get it to work. I don't know if this is just uh, a problem I've run into on Google Chrome or whatever, but Trade NBA has been clear for a long time now. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though uh, they got like bought out by somebody where it's like a little harder to get to the page. Once you're there, it's fine. Um, so what a trade machine I should I any trade machine that whatever the best one is, I'm always on it. And uh, I wrote a story earlier this season on my favorite fake trade for the Lakers which to my surprise was met with little resistance. Um, I don't think they were that crazy. The one that remains my favorite, I think is like some trade for Kenrich Williams of the Oklahoma city thunder, like whether that's Kent Bays more Deandre Jordan in a second, or just, you know, Bays in a second. I think that's a, pretty realistic trade for the Lakers and and would check a lot of boxes for them. Uh, but 
my fake, I guess, realistic trade targets are out there. Before we get into our Twitter submissions, is there anybody that stands out to you as somebody that is gettable and would also help the Lakers uh, without, you know, being a blockbuster trade? Yeah. It's still wild to me how good Kenrich Williams is. Uh, I watched him on the Pelicans. I think you watched him on the Pelicans with me. And he was not a good three-point shooter in the least. He did a lot of the the other stuff pretty well. But once teams, he was a 25% three-point shooter his last year in New Orleans. He was 44% last year and 39% this year, which is wild. Um, yeah, he would be, if we're talking just kind of realistic ones, he'd be pretty high up there. I don't think it'd take a lot to get him. I would be absolutely stunned if OKC took back both Bazemore and DeAndre Jordan for one player. Um, but I'd be happily stunned, pleasantly surprised. Um, regardless, I don't think it's going to cost much more than a couple seconds. Uh, and he's a, a qual- another just quality wing uh, that can do a lot of things. Another kind of better version of Stanley Johnson. A um, little bit different play style, but... I like him. He's honestly at the top of my list. I've, this is, I don't know if this fits your not blockbuster criteria. I've come around a little bit more on Jeremy Grant. I, I still am really hesitant on giving up on THT. Um, I, I really like THT and he's still so crazy young with so much potential that I, I, I'm, I'm worried about them giving up on him for a player that might not put them over the top. Like, I don't know if Jeremy Grant is the difference in this team making the finals or not, but there's just such a big hole for a wing like him on this roster that man, he would, he would help so much on this team and you would probably have to trade THT and Kendrick Nunn and whatever other assets you can scrap together. But just that type of player, just a big wing like that. He could be your kind of primary defender on other big wings. Like that type of player, they, they don't exist. They aren't available everywhere, I should say. Um, they're a hot commodity for a reason. But uh, someone like him, like I've really started to come around on the idea of going after a, a Jeremy Grant type of player. Yeah, for, you know, to the to the point of me wanting – like a non Stanley Johnson or Trevor Reza player to be the Lakers starting for in a playoff series. The idea of, you know, Russ Monk, LeBron, Jeremy Grant, and AD certainly makes me feel more confident going into a playoff series than what the Lakers have right now. Um, and to be clear, like ha- having LeBron and AD should inspire as much confidence as any two man duo in the NBA, like seeing what LeBron was able to do to the Grizzlies was really cool. And then you realize that, you know, Anthony Davis can do something similar while also providing a little more on the defensive end uh, with guys like Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson jr. So um, that's something to be excited about. And, you know, one of the responses we got uh, from me asking who, 
your favorite realistic trade target for the Lakers is um, was Anthony Davis. And it was our, our colleague, Austin green. And it's true. Like when, when you think about the perfect player for this roster and somebody that would put them over the top on both ends of the floor, that player is Anthony Davis. And fortunately for the Lakers, he is under contract uh, for God, four more years, including this year. He has a player option in the fifth year, but um, I mean, that's great. And if there's any reason to be optimistic about not just the rest of the season for the Lakers, but the playoffs, it is that Anthony Davis is going to be back eventually. Um, And honestly, the mere suggestion of Anthony Davis being traded for somebody, not just this trade deadline, but next summer, this makes me mad. <laughs> uh, Anthony Davis is good at basketball. Uh, that is my analysis for tonight. Um, yeah, it feels like, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me again. Uh, it feels like, and this is going to be a, a comparison for a very few select amount of people, but in soccer, when uh, you have a player that uh, has been injured all year and comes back healthy during the transfer window, everybody's like, oh, well, he's basically like a new signing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it's kind of what the Lakers are going to have when AD comes back because we're so close to the deadline. And they've completely changed the way they've played with him gone. And so he's going to be coming in to a, a system that I think far more suits him and far more suits the Lakers. And it's taken them quite a while to get to this point, but it's going to be really interesting when he comes back because I think the Lakers are going to be like, not a hot take. The Lakers are going to be really, really good. I think when AD comes back, um, it's just, I really hope we, like you said earlier, we get an extended run of this team healthy because I have PTSD from last year where every time it felt like we were right there about ready to, to be healthy and compete, somebody else would get hurt. And then it ultimately got down to where we had two days at the end of the regular season to play with our full lineup. And then it was a playoff. So I really run want an extended run with this team, but yeah, I, I hadn't really thought, that's a fun way of looking at it with Anthony Davis. So, um, yeah, he's going to be a really nice trade deadline time acquisition for the Lakers. Uh, to my surprise, nobody suggested trading uh, AD when I asked this uh, question, which is great. I guess the, the opposite end of the spectrum is everybody wants Russell Westbrook traded, and I do not blame them after his performance on Sunday night. Uh, good Lord. I thought <laughs> I looked at his points in the box score and I was like, did he foul out? And I'm like, no, that's just his points. He had six points on two of 12 shooting from the field, uh, zero turnovers. So there's that. He actually but, has been to his credit, really good about turnovers. The last handful of games, uh, it's about all the credit I'm going to give him though. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, listen. I, I I do not think Westbrook has been that bad this season. But again, any Lakers fans that want him traded, I I don't blame them. I also don't blame the Lakers fans that 
wish the trade was never completely completed, but here's where we are. Uh, what I really don't understand, though, is the logic of uh, Russell Westbrook is the worst player on the planet. Lakers shouldn't have even given up a laundry machine for him. Let's trade him for Ben Simmons and Seth Curry, which we got a lot of Ben Simmons. Um, we actually got one, two, three, four. Four out of the nine responses we got were saying the Lakers should trade for Ben Simmons. Um, some context is needed here. It's already been reported that the 76ers have no interest in, in getting Russell Westbrook back in a trade. And if the Lakers don't include one of Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, or LeBron James uh, in a trade for Ben Simmons, from a salary standpoint, it is not feasible. So let's get that out of the way. If it's not Russell Westbrook, the Lakers are not going to trade LeBron James and Anthony Davis and or Anthony Davis or Ben Simmons, no matter uh, how much our colleague <laughs> Anthony Irwin would, would like them to. But um, so I agree Ben Simmons would, would help the Lakers. And I know he doesn't view himself as a three or four, but you're talking that three to five, three through five lineup again. LeBron Simmons and, and AD is another one where I would love to see that trio together. But alas, it, it's it's not going to happen. I'm sorry. You can look at some clutch photo shoots from next summer and the three of them will <laughs> almost certainly be together. Uh, it's a non-starter. There have been every report has said that the Sixers do not want Russ. It's the age-old conundrum or adage or whatever you want to call it. I don't think either of those are the right words, but it's where a fan base says, this player is really bad. We should have never traded for him. We should trade to him for somebody else's really good player. That's not how this works. The Sixers are watching the same Russell Westbrook that the Lakers are. Nothing about what Russell Westbrook does makes him attractive to the Sixers. Uh, he is not a floor spacer, and that's predominantly what they need from a point guard. Good luck with your uh, driving lanes when Embiid is just plotted right in the middle of the lane as Russ tries to run down and miss a dunk. Um, it's a non-starter. It's something I haven't even considered. Uh, Daryl Morey is asking for – I I can't even put into words what he's asking for, more than what – or about what the Lakers gave up for Anthony Davis for Ben Simmons. Uh, the Lakers gave that up for Anthony Davis. They cannot give it up for Ben Simmons. End of story to me. So uh, Ben Simmons would be fun. Go to NBA 2K and do that trade there because that's the only way it is going to happen. Yeah, which is unfortunate, but it is what it is. Um, the other name I saw kind of a lot compared to other names I expected to see was Robert Covington and like two years ago, I think I would have been all in on that. Um, I obviously haven't watched a ton of trailblazers basketball this season, uh, but just going based off of their record and clips I've seen of Robert Covington this season, uh, either the style of basketball that they're playing in Portland, whatever it is, does not fit uh, his style or he's just cooked. Those are <laughs> two possibilities, but generally speaking and, and, you know, going back to the whole salary thing, 
any big ish trade the Lakers are going to make is going to involve Taylor. And even as somebody who isn't super, super, super high on Taylor, I would not feel comfortable giving up Taylor and the return being Robert Covington. Admittedly, I haven't watched a ton of Blazers basketball this year, but this is not even pertaining to this season. I feel like the idea of Robert Covington has been better than Robert Covington for a long time running now. Um, there's, it's one of those things where there's a reason he's been traded around a whole bunch. And there's a reason teams also have been interested in trading for him. It feels like a team looks at him and thinks, Oh, perfect three and D guy wing player. We can put in and help turn the page. And then they get him on the, on their team and realize maybe he's just more valuable as a trade chip and they send him away. Excuse me. Um, Just looking at his numbers on cleaning the glass, he is shooting really well from the corners, uh, 47% on the season, which is 75th percentile. That's only on 36 attempts, though. Um, Overall, he's a 35% three-point shooter, though, and has taken far more wing threes. So I would think with the Lakers, he – would find himself in the corner more, but is it worth giving up again? Is it worth giving up Taylor for a guy that probably isn't going to put you over the edge? And I'm not even certain would close most games for the Lakers. It would very, it very much be matchup dependent. That's not even talking about his defense, which uh, he has looked cooked for a while now. So um, I'm not crazy about it. If he was cheaper, I would be interested, but um, he's going to cost too much. And I, I think there's a reason he's, he's played for since 2018, 19, he's played for Philly, Minnesota, Houston, and Portland, and is probably available now. So there's a reason that keeps happening. Uh, Norman Powell was the other name thrown in there. And I, I think I'd feel a little bit better about that one. Um, I'm guessing he'd be the Lakers starting to guard upon arrival. Um, I just think that is less realistic than, uh, than Robert Covington, which is to say like the reason it's less realistic is I, I think the trailblazers would jump at the opportunity to trade Rocco for Taylor. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting one. And I, I think it was reported not too long ago, the trailblazers were looking to like unload basically everybody outside of Dame, which I, I don't blame them. And I can't imagine it'll be too much longer until they uh, just decide to move on from Dame completely. But that is neither here nor there. Um, the last name I wanted to talk about is one that I think is polarizing for a few reasons. One, he's a center and the Lakers seem to be trending towards uh, centerless lineups. But two, it's another player you have to, I guess, deal with the opportunity cost of trading to tail in a way. Uh, and that's Miles Turner. I think when it comes to centers that would likely close a game alongside uh, Anthony Davis, I think Miles Turner's near the top of the list because I think defensives respect him enough as a shooter 
for the floor to be spaced even with AD at the four. Uh, and obviously the defense speaks for itself. He was a defensive player of the year candidate last year. And him and AD in the front court together just be so much fun. Um, but does trading Miles Turner put the Lakers or trading for Miles Turner make the Lakers a title favorite, which is ultimately the question you have to ask yourself when trading a talent like Taylor away. I would have maybe entertained the idea that of that trade before the shift to small ball, it would totally go against everything they've been doing for the last three weeks now. And it would return them to something like they, the team they won the title with in 2020. But I, I don't know. I really, really, really like Miles Turner. Um, I've liked him for the Pacers for a long time. And I think he would have a lot of success wherever he goes. As you said, him and AD together in the front court, like good freaking luck. You're, you're not scoring on that when those two are together. But how many times are you realistically going to close with both those guys? Um, can you play LeBron, AD, and Miles Turner together to close a game with LeBron as your small forward? Because that means against your Clippers, if Kawhi's back, your teams like that, LeBron's guarding Kawhi. Is he going to sign up for that? Um, unless you're somehow trading for a big wing to go with that, that's what's going to happen. So there are a couple reasons why I don't think they would do it. But I love <laughs> I love Miles Turner a ton. Or I think it might actually be his nickname. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to look it up as I'm talking. But uh, my friends and I have long called him the Big Pineapple because of his hairstyle shockingly the only name on basketball reference is somehow cooler samurai miles oh my god where did that come from <laughs> i have no idea but that's the oh only my. name on basketball reference I'm gonna... um he, but when he kind of first came into the league he had a uh hairdo that made it look like a pineapple and we've called him the big pineapple jokingly for a while but um he's a lot of fun i just I I think the Pacers would get a better offer than a THT package for him because he's probably the best rim protector, not maybe Rudy Gobert, him and Rudy Gobert, the two best rim protectors in the league. And he can shoot threes. Um, we also kind of have a blueprint of how it works with Miles and another big in Indiana for all these years. Um Obviously, AD is better than Sabonis, and LeBron's better than anyone they've ever had next to him. But there's some concerns. So I don't know. I wouldn't be against it. I would have a lot of fun watching him, but I ultimately think that they're shifting toward a different kind of play style. And if you trade for him, these last three weeks have kind of been wasted in a sense because if you trade for him, there's – presumably never going to be a moment where one of him or AD aren't on the court and then you're not playing small ball ever again. So I don't know. Uh, 
I guess if the opportunity is there, it doesn't really matter if you've wasted the last three weeks or not, if you feel like he put you over the top. But um, out of everybody listed, I would probably be highest on him out of everybody that like has tweeted at you. I would probably be highest on him, but uh, I just don't really know that it makes sense now that the Lakers have kind of shifted their mentality. I tried really hard to find the origin of the Samurai Miles nickname while you were talking, and I just could not. Like Even Reddit seems pretty dumbfounded by the existence of the nickname, but he's acknowledged it and referred to himself as Samurai Miles. Um, so if I or you uh, find the origin of the nickname, we'll make sure to tweet it out or talk about it on next week's pod. Um, I... Uh... I, me and the uh, Indy Star Pacers beat writer follow each other, have interacted. So maybe I'll try to put a word in to see if he uh, <laughs> wants to ask him about it and find out what the origin of that nickname is. Please, that would be incredible. Uh, but yeah, all, all, all your points you made about Miles, I think, stand true. And the reason I'd be a little reluctant to trade for him now, at least. Um, the other thing is, I just think it is hard to confidently say that Talon has value around the league um, when a lot of these these teams we're talking about trading him to already have a point guard in place that they're looking to build around. Like when, when you look at the uh, Pistons, you know they have a few guards and. You know, that's not even including Cade Cunningham, who's essentially their point guard, um, that they would like, presumably like to to get minutes over Taylor Horton Tucker. So it's um it's interesting. Sure Taylor's a point guard. Well, that's the other thing. It's uh it, it's kind of hard to sell yourself on building around Taylor because he's such a weird player right now. Like if that three ball continues to fall, like Sure, he becomes a little bit more of a conventional guard, but yeah, right now, again, I've said it on the pod before, he's just like an undersized slashing three in like this a similar vein that Tyreek Evans was early in his career. So it's uh it's weird. And I'm very interested to see where we are a month from now when it comes to you know, trades that the Lakers did or didn't make and, um, you know, whether Taylor's still on the team. Because I think there's a good chance he he makes it past the trade deadline. Oh, that was going to be my question. After the trade deadline, is anybody currently on the roster not on the roster? Yeah, I don't think DeAndre Jordan and Kemp Bazemore are on the roster past the trade deadline. I think they'll try like hell to trade them um, because they're just so limited in the salary that they can send out. Um, the other thing is even factoring, or I guess, uh, I don't know how to say this. Even when you look at the Lakers guard rotation, as it is without Kendrick Dunn, who's injured and without Kent Bazemore, uh, who just doesn't play, it's a lot. And I think once Kendrick Nunn is healthy again. You're going to see guards miss out on playing time as a result of them not having the defensive chops to play the three or just because the 
Frank is like in favor of playing, you know, bigger lineups or bigger players when it comes to those three and four spots. So I, I don't want to say that Kendrick Nunn won't be on the roster um, past the trade deadline. I think I was more confident in that maybe a few months ago than I am now after seeing like who Frank trusts in the rotation and, you know, which players um, have played and, and what their identity is right now. I think Kendrick Nunn actually plays a really big part in what the Lakers do for the remainder of the season. So I expect him to be on, on the team, but I, the fact that Avery Bradley's still on the roster gives me pause about, you know, what the guard rotation is going to look like going forward. Cause I do think there needs to be a trade to consolidate that. Um, and one that doesn't involve just Kent Bazemore and DeAndre Jordan. It's going to be interesting. I wouldn't be stunned if Kendrick Nunn was traded. Um, Malik Monk, Avery Bradley and Austin Reeves have played really well. Um, makes him far more expendable and he's one of the only contracts they have that's above a minimum that they could get something in return if they pair him with a minimum guy and a Kendrick Nunn Kent Bazemore package gets you to I mean you might remember seven eight million dollars somewhere in that range and you can get a more impactful player um even if I highly doubt they do like a three for one, but add DeAndre in there and you're getting even more. So I Kendrick Nunn is Kendrick Nunn's contract, I think, makes him more likely to be traded than anything else because it just feels like he's a bit more expendable considering how well the team has played. But he's also still like a really talented player that he's a three-level scorer. That is an adequate defender, probably the best non-Avery Bradley guard defender. Well, Austin Reeves is up there. Uh, but he's a good defender. Um, I thought in the preseason he would take the other starting spot uh, alongside Russell Westbrook. Um, it's going to be hard for him to do that with how Malik is playing Sunday notwithstanding. Uh, so I – It'll be interesting. I don't think Bazemore or Jordan will be on the team. I think they would keep Avery Bradley. So then if you're consolidating the guards, you're not trading Reeves, I don't think. You're not trading Monk. And you Kendrick Nunn is just right now as we talk on January 10th, just kind of the odd man out. We'll see if that kind of proves to be the case in um, a couple weeks. He's going to have to play pretty well to – to make a case that he should stick around because I think he could pretty quickly be on kind of that chopping block and chopped around a bit. Yeah. It's wild to say, but I think Avery Bradley has been so valuable in the minutes that he's played that you can feel comfortable um, moving on from none, but I don't know. I don't know if it's too much to say THT, but if, if you if you have the ability, like if, if Detroit gives you the green light to trade Talon for or, or trade Jeremy Grant for Talon Nunn and 
whatever, a second round pick or whatever, you have to do that trade. And you feel comfortable doing that trade, knowing that your guard rotation, even after that trade, is Russell Westbrook, Malik Monk, Austin Reeves, Avery Bradley, and Wayne Ellington. Do you pick up a guard in the buyout market after the fact? I think so. Uh, But I think even that, even just that guard rotation is uh, pretty interesting. So we'll be talking about it all month. Uh, This is just the, I guess, one month preview for it. And really just an excuse to talk about not the game. That was the whole point in me doing this. I Listen, I don't blame you until that final five minutes, uh, six minutes when the Lakers made that, it was a 23 to nothing run. I've, I've been looking it up as we were talking, uh, until that 23 to nothing run. Um, there wasn't anything to talk about. So anything positive I should say to talk about. So, um, I think the Lakers are going to be active in the trade deadline because while we haven't seen enough from this team as a whole, I think we've seen enough from the pieces to know that certain ones don't fit and the Lakers are going to need to shift those around. The good news is when the Lakers have kind of made moves to shift things around at the deadline, you can look back to Markeith Morris as like a positive example and uh, do not look at last year as any kind of example of what they did in the buyout market. Uh, that'll do it for our show this week. Thank you all for listening once again. Um, first show of... All right, that's not true. We did a show today after New Year's. Second show of the new year. Uh, it's going to be a fun one, hopefully. Um, so, yeah, well, we'll be back. Lakers don't play next Sunday. So, we will be recapping the game against the Nuggets on Saturday. The Lakers only play one more time. Uh, and it's against the Kings. And if there's anything I've learned uh, from watching the Kings, it's that every team that beats the Kings, their season turns around like immediately after the fact. Like there is something about playing the Kings that just inspires every team that this is their year. And I expect the same to be true for the Lakers on Wednesday. So uh, thank you guys for listening and we'll, we'll catch you next week.